If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply feel discouraged or even defeated, and if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then the Zen Success Show is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa Sims. Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Success. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Chris Jana Klosby. Chris is the author of Near Death Lessons and is the founder and CEO of Remote Staff, a recruiting company specializing in remote working placements. Remarkably, he was able to build and grow this business while battling cancer. I'm a cancer survivor also. So my heart is with you there. Failing kidneys and several brain operations, which is so interesting and just intense that you survived all of that. You don't hear that very often. It like gives me this feeling of like that you're so meant to be here, like as a model for your children and others and and your book. It's like so many times to have these things happen to you. It's just amazing. So throughout these challenges and more, Chris was able to find a way to transform his life, one from fear, struggle, and self-doubt to one of empowerment, success, health, and happiness. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me on your show. Awesome. And and congratulations as well for moving on beyond our illnesses and uh, not letting that be a, a place where we get you know stuck in darkness uh, because the way we bounce back from adversities time and time again is to embrace uh, living life to the fullest, to embrace living because we want to be able to be excited and optimistic and hopeful for our futures. If we have a sense of purpose and meaning, we can always be knocked out and then, you know, find our way back to our feet. That's, yeah, that's incredible. And I love how you say, don't get stuck in the darkness and, and also with the identity and, and part of me doesn't even feel, I mean, to be honest, I'm not shouting it off the rooftops that I'm a cancer Mm. survivor. I bring it up as I feel fit and, and because I just feel like that was a time in my life. Yes, I'm a survivor and I'm happy. And I, and I don't focus on it and I'm just like living my best life and thriving because I'm focused on the health, the joy, the, the other things in my life and my kids, which we talked a little bit about the yin and yang of fighting and playing. Sure. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, don't get us wrong. I mean, when people mention these things, it's not an all consuming thing in our lives, but it definitely was an impactful event in our lives. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously people are suffering out there, so I don't want to minimize it. I'm just saying for me as a person going through it, that helped me, that helped me seeing myself thriving, seeing myself 
like loving life. And with my kids, I mean, okay, now I'm going to get emotional, <laughs> but I was like, my kids need me. My kids need yeah. me. And, and people need me and people need you. Right. And, and the world needs us. Uh, the world needs us as individuals to be here. We, we all have, we all have this opportunity to be here. We can't take our lives for granted. We are here. And while we are here, yes, we can do all that we want to serve our own pleasures, pleasures and desires and our own interests. But it's far more enriching and fulfilling to think that we've got this gift called life and that we have an opportunity to give back in some way. Our, everyone has this desire in our secret desires to want to contribute, to serve, to make an impact to not just our families, to a wider community and, and a bigger, you know, we want to, we all want to matter and count in some way. None of us want to just come and go like we never even existed. Um, and we don't, you know, so I think all these elements in us is a seed in, around the world, regardless of the cultures. And, um, and yeah, it's great when we can, as human beings, apply ourselves to what's most important and say, you know what? I've learned one thing that if it's really important for me, like your kids, for example, what makes you so sure that you're, that's not going to be important for you even when you pass away? Of course, what's important is important, regardless whether you're here or not. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Now I, I know probably everybody says this, but I detect a small accent. Is that Aussie? Aus <laughs> yeah, yeah, Australian? Accent. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, okay. so I'm born, I, uh, born and raised in Australia, but I live between LA and Sydney. Yeah. You, you do. Okay. Sydney. Yeah. I've been to Melbourne and Perth. So I, I didn't make it to oh, Sydney. That's that a, the jewel. <laughs> it is the jewel. And yeah. I, because I felt like that needed its own separate trip. So, does, uh, yeah. but I, I, on a side note, <laughs> I traveled with a bunch of Aussies, South Africans and Kiwis. And, oh, yeah. and so I kind of, I kind of got used to the different, like I could distinguish a little bit more between um, the accents and, and British and others, but, uh, but, but yeah, I always admired the Aussie spirit, to be honest. Uh, the Especially. love of life, of living for the moment, and how much vacation you guys had. <laughs> I, I think because we're so far away from the rest of the world, we, yeah. we're very much adventurous. We, we want to yeah. explore what's out there. And I also think because as a country, we're so bloody governed. We, this, uh, some, it's, a, it's a perfect utopia. Like everything's perfect. Everything's nice. And, you know, like it's beautiful. Uh, it's safe. It's whatever. Uh, but you know what? That's not how the world operates. And there's so much awesomeness and uh, dynamics out there in the world. And so living in Asia is extremely different compared to living in Europe or compared to living in America or America is different compared to living in, you know, there's all these different parts of, of the world. And it's great when I've had an opportunity, one of my dreams was to work around the world anywhere and and hang out, not like a tourist, but like hang. I I, I did the digital like nomad live lifestyle. there. You mean live like there? Like live. Yeah. Okay. Six, six weeks at a time, and I did that like because six weeks was a sweet spot where you could feel like okay, if I went to Notting Hill in London, I hanged out in that area and got to feel, got to know the local restaurants and shops, people, 
I got to know markets and events and, you know, I got to experience it, but I didn't stay there long enough to say, well, now I've settled there. I don't want to settle somewhere. I want to experience like what it's like living there. And so when you do six weeks, that's a sweet spot. One month is slightly too short. Two months was slightly too long. <laughs> six weeks. Yeah, that's amazing. It reminds me a little bit of the Tim Ferriss book, The 4-Hour Work Week, of just being mobile. I mean, you you had, how could you do that? Did you start, you're the founder of Remote Staff. Is that how you did it? You started your own company? Yeah. So okay. what's fascinating is when I was traveling around the world, living this lifestyle, everyone was bringing Tim Ferriss's book to my attention. I was like, oh yeah, sure, I'll get around to reading it. And then probably like, Many, many years of living this lifestyle, maybe like four or five years later, I finally read the book and I was like, oh, yeah, I've been, that's pretty much you <laughs> you know, live what I've been it. doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, live it. you never needed to. That's probably why no, I didn't resonate. But, but that's a great book, except uh, he went on this notion of like trying to cap out your day to four hours. Uh, right. Where, where yeah. it was, um, or whatever it was. I was always more like, no, work as hard as you can, live as hard as you can. Every day. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so work as hard as you can and live as hard as you can. So what does that look like in times of hours? <laughs> in okay, terms so of I'm, hours. Doing, I, I, I'm doing it now because I've got my kids and family in America. So we, okay. uh, we are working. So I'm here. At my, I have a separate apartment here. And then I have another apartment for them at the moment. Um, and so when I'm with them, I'm, I'm doing the typical thing. I leave uh, at around... Um, Eight o'clock. I'm I'm here at my apartment. Fifteen minutes later, <laughs> uh, I'm setting things up. I, I, I then leave here around five. So I do the. But this is what I'm doing here, uh, and then I'm with them through through the rest of the day and night. And uh, but when, it depends which part of the world I'm at, and depends on the time zone. So most okay. like in in Thailand, I love Thailand because I, I love up, Thailand too. I love Thailand, yeah. And so I, uh, I enjoy the I enjoy the enjoying my breakfast time with the family. I then work, mm. I then stop at 3 p.m. And then I have these awesome massages or walks on the beach. I travel, I, I walk amongst the holiday makers. I have just forgotten all stress, all work-related topics because I'm just in holiday mode right away. So when you're working in a holiday destination sometimes, I, can, I love it because it, it forces a disconnect from work because you're with these holiday makers who've been lounging around on the beach all day and you meet them and you're like, ah, yeah, how you doing, man? <laughs> you know, fine. Uh, you know, forget about all these meetings and sh things that you're trying to pull off or do that didn't work. You have to fire that person, whatever, that none of it matters. All of a sudden you're there, you're at the beach, you're with somebody. Oh, where are you from? Oh, you're from Germany. Oh, cool. How long are you here for? Well, you're here for two months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, that's so awesome. Where do you like to stay in Thailand? What side? Thailand, it's, it's Kosamui. I've been doing a lot oh, of Kosamui. Oh, Kosamui. That's, that's my place too. Yeah. I, I love the whole um, um, island vibe. I love the mm -hmm. fact that the, the word Kosamui in Thailand means freedom. And I feel oh, like yeah. I feel like the freedom. When I'm there, I'm, I don't care about the world. Like it's, there's nothing. Any, when I'm there, mm -hmm. I'm just there on this tropical island. And it's a great healing environment, lots of spas, lots of healthy food, mm -hmm. great lifestyle blend. So, yeah, congratulations. Uh, congratulations for experiencing that, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and I, when I first went there, I was 13 and I'm 50 now. So yeah, yeah, we're the same age. Oh, that's awesome. 50 rocks. I'm like excited. 70, 73, March 24. Oh, okay. May 10th, 1973. Uh, I wow. was hoping there might be a, I was hoping there might be a bingo. You know, you oh, like an exact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But we still have to say it's a synchronicity and, and amazing because you celebrated your 50th this year. Did you do something special? Recently. Uh, again, uh, I had the the family. Who, uh, actually, I went back to Sydney very quickly, and my wife surprised me. I wanted to stay low key because I'm traveling around the world so much, and uh, she organized all my friends and uh, family members for a little gathering at a beautiful part of uh, Sydney. And yeah, it was great. Oh, that's awesome! Now, does she come uh, with you to LA? How, oh, sorry. No, I wanted to know. How about you? Uh, May 10th oh. passed already. <laughs> you want to know what I did? Oh, yeah, sure. You're so nice. You know, this is an interview about you, but this is now turning into a conversation like we're old friends. So <laughs> it's, yes. So for my 50th, I, I was, I went with some girlfriends, some moms, and we went to this hot springs and we rented an Airbnb and it was very spiritual, just connecting with the water. And it was a full moon that weekend. I'm I'm spiritual. And so we did lots of meditations and grounding exercises and just like and just letting go and being free. And then and then actually a few days later was my actual birthday. I went out for a Mexican food at dinner and okay. then and then we and then uh did some karaoke. So that was a grand finale, was karaoke. Mm-hmm. Okay, Sorry. karaoke. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I, 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 I know this is an interview, but I have to I have to say, like being spiritual and stuff, uh, I know being a woman uh in India is tricky, but have you been to India? I have been to India. I have been a lot of places, yes. And my I have a friend who's American but Indian, you know, both of her parents are full Indian, so she's got a lot of relatives there. So she got married there. So I wow. went for her wedding, which is like the extravagant, it was like yeah. the extravagant India, but I also went to Bombay and, um, you know, did some tourist things in Delhi, the Taj Mahal and all of that. Yeah. So I have been to uh, wow. Punjab and the pink city. So, uh, yeah, yeah. City. Uh, I really resonate you... with India. I really yeah. resonate. Like, I think I was there in a past life. Yeah, so did you get a chance to spend like? Uh, so I, I had a chance to spend five months there, six months. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I chased all the gurus. I hugged all those people. Oh my I, God, you I, had the I, full I, I, spiritual journey. Full journey. Yes, I went to see Sai Baba. I went to see all, the, all these other people, and I, I, I stayed at certain ashrams. I participated, and I touched my essence twice, and I came to terms with my mortality there after living 13 years with my mortality anxiety, having all these conditions. And anyway, so it was, that uh, was fascinating. After, can I ask you, that was after your near deaths, you went to India. So, before? so, so I'll give, I'll, I'll, we'll go back a little okay. bit. Uh, so, so I've had a total of eight near death experiences starting from the age of seven so the last one was 44. Now 50, I've had a good green run <laughs> for a while. Um, and the first time I had uh, a diagnosis of my hereditary condition was at 19 when I was told I'd be dead by 30. Wow. And 
I mean, it was How a brutal diagnosis. How did you take that? How did you I take was, that? I mean, it was devastating because I, I had some angiomas and tumors in my right eye, and we didn't know why at 16 I was getting these tumors. Because in the in the eye thing I was attending with my father, uh, I'm, I'm the only kid there or teenager, and everybody else is like these 70-plus-year-old people. And so um, it took him, th- you know, three years to figure out what it was. And when, the, when I got the diagnosis, the guy was, oh, we got some good news and bad news. I go, oh, yeah, what's the good news? Uh, he goes, well, we found out the reason for your tumors. I go, oh, that's great. He goes, well, the bad news is you have a rare hereditary condition that forms cysts and tumors and sometimes cancerous. You grow hereditary cancer. It's a very rare condition in all your major organs. And uh, you might even have cancer now. So, um, yeah, we don't know much about it. I want to wish you all the best. I wanted to let you know that, you know, there's a short life expectancy. Uh, the average life expectancy is 30, so you're probably even not going to live a very long life. Uh, but, um, yeah, um, that's your condition. That was it. No support, no information, nothing. I was like, that awful to a kid was awful. to say to, that? To, to a 19-year-old. I was just yeah. starting my life. I was questioning what am I going to do with my career? And then this bombshell just threw everything out the door. It, it, I, I spoke to my parents. I spoke to friends. I couldn't relate to anyone about this thing. And I thought, you know, if I actually really ignored it, if I really mm. questioned, challenged it, that it might disappear. <laughs> that, okay. was my strategy. that was my coping strategy. I thought okay. at 19, if I really pretended that it really disappeared, that it might really disappear uh, until at 31, it, uh, sorry, at 32, it finally got me with a it brain tumor that, that almost killed me. Yeah. And then wow. the. Um, but you but lived that, a pretty good life. I mean, a pretty long life up until then, 32, yeah. because that is a strategy for manifestation sometimes, ignoring it. But I, but I think with disease and pain, it's better because it's always a message. That's my opinion. It's always something that you need to pay attention to. So connecting with it, that, that's my strategy anyway, and sending mm-hmm. it love and, and then having a whole thing. Okay. It's time for you to go unless you do surgery. Yeah. Which- so with, with mine, it's, uh, it's very, uh, you know, hereditary. I mean, yeah. whether I believe uh, food and mindset and emotional wellness and all that stuff plays a part, but um our genetics play out with whatever we do. And so the genetics has an influence and, uh, and we tumor up. So right now I'm living with uh, six brain tumors. I'm living with three fast growing cancers. And you're, so yeah. What? And so, so what? what? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, your point is, okay. Focus on life. Control what you can control in your life, Got your it. life. Your attitude, your mindset, your what well, your actions leave the rest to God's business, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that. Uh, when you come to terms with your mortality, you you can embrace the your existence, you have extreme gratitude, you you are okay with the terms that are ungoverned by your understanding, and you can move on and just control the interests and the affairs and what drives you flow in your energy flow mm. what's in your truth yeah because there this doesn't my adversities don't do you see me as a victim do you see me 
being shattered by my adversity. No, no, no because, not at all. In fact, not at all. just empowered actually by exactly. it. Mm-hmm. I'm empowered by it. So yeah. 13 years of disempowerment, I had enough of that. When that brain tumor finally came and I had that diagnosis, I went to the, I looked at the sky and I said, God, kill me. I've had enough. I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to always be full of doubts and insecurities or uncertainties about my, my welfare or my life or what I'm doing. I don't want to live like that. I don't know after this brain operation whether I'll be able to touch my nose, move my hands, talk, be in a wheelchair, whatever. But I, I have to accept the fact that I'm going to be here, be alive, be here, however long that is. And I'm going to choose to focus on life. I'm going to embrace living life for a change. And that was the first time when I shifted my mind from disempowered to self-empowerment. Self-empowerment is a choice we could all make. And then when we do embrace that choice of saying, that's it, I'm going to embrace self-empowerment, it became, yeah, I've still got these patterns of limiting belief and outlooks. And so it was it was a fascinating journey post my brain operation because I took a year off to heal, hence why I was in India also for five months. Uh, but, you know, I valued treatments and all this stuff. Oh, my amazing. God, amazing. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, all these things, are, uh, 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 it's all in our hands. It's, it's, it's annoying because it's just a shift. It's a mm. shift. Broke, multimillionaire. Living a disempowered <laughs> life, living an empowered life. Living a life of always doubts and insecurity, living a life of, of incredible creation and and drive and contribution and impact. Yeah, freaking out! It's just on a knife edge. Yeah, bring it. Feel that 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 choice, that choice point, that decision. Yeah. yeah. It's all, it's all a game. Our brain is playing this game because our brain is so friggin' lazy. It wants, it wants to form, like when I had the brain operation the second time and a tumor burst and almost killed me, oh uh, it was fascinating. God. It was fascinating because the um, uh, tumor uh, affected everything on my left side. So that's how my left side works now. <laughs> 50 years, uh, six years uh, or seven, whatever. Uh, and the, uh, or six, yeah. And the, uh, it took me eight months to learn how to walk and talk again. Learning how to do that again, going for the occupational therapist and rehabilitation. I'm an OT. Oh, there you go. Doing all that work mm-hmm. uh, uh, allowed me to understand that, wow, our brains are nothing more than just brain patterns. And that when I moved my a little simple pins, uh, uh pencil lid cover from the left side of the table to the right that knocked me out for 45 minutes an hour and and the ot said to me chris <laughs> uh she was still there she goes well well you just formed a new synapsis connection it's like forming a new paradigm so that's how much energy it took for your body to make that move for the first time with your hand that was out of control and um that knocked you out because your brain can't produce more energy it has to take from the rest of the body. That's what the body does. And yeah, the, the brain's already consuming so much energy and it doesn't want to, the body and the brain are working very hard to not consume more energy from you, but that's what it takes to form a mega change. Or it, it forms, an inter, or it takes an interruption on your part to stop entertaining the particular brain pattern activity because it's so easy for the brain to fire chemical or electrical connections between synapses that 
you know, I'm not a I'm not a neurosurgeon or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, neuroscientist, but I'm just explaining that we are literally patterned. And while I had my operation a month before the birth of my second son, Billy, I got to see my son and myself develop. I was developing on my left side, learning how to grow. Wow. And I got to see him crawl and walk and do it. He's the same. Same. We were developing at the same point until I got to around four and he's overtaken me already. (laughs) He's now six. So he's neuro. Plasticity development in his mobility mm-hmm. is significantly better better on his left than my left hand right now. Fascinating. And it's so beautiful for you to recognize that in your life and and see that parallel and and how you're both in it together and like your flesh and blood, your son. And yeah, amazing. I mean. It's like encouraging him to crawl is like encouraging yourself to keep going, right? We were both crawling at the same time. <laughs> wow. It's beautiful. But, but, but it's what's, a what's special bond though, isn't it? Between you two after going? Yeah. Well, well, he has my hereditary condition. So my first son is a carbon copy of me and he thinks like me. He acts like me. I don't hang out with our, my, I'm a father. I'm a typical driven crazy man. I don't hang out with my kids. Like as a mother, I know if you had all the time in the world and you just had any, you had a chance to do anything you want, you'd probably want to hang out with your kids, like my mother, my wife would. Mm. But as a as a, as a driven father, I want to hang out with my kids as a typical dad. I do activities together, hang out every now and then, enjoy them, love them, be with them, play with them. But I don't want to spend all day with them necessarily all the time. <laughs> okay, I'm right there. I'm sorry. Oh, okay, I'm right there right. with you. And I don't feel bad about it. You know, that's why I'm like, do it, do it all. The, yeah, because because also we're an inspiration for them to, to do what's important to us, what fulfills us in our dream. And then the, the time that you do spend with them, you're not resentful. You You enjoy that because you have set aside that time. Well, well, I just want to make sure that they understand that I have a life, you have a life, and I'm not going to control your life as much as yes. you're not going to control mine. Yes. Uh, it's, it's a partnership as a family. Mm. We're going to be a unit. And I can't, I can't demonstrate self-empowerment any more better than my actions. Yes. My actions are emulated. Yeah. They get to make a decision independently, and they always remember a certain moment or time where they go, oh, but dad, we're this way or maybe that yes. when dad did this he did this way well i'm therefore going to do it different good on you try it yeah <laughs> uh, why but, not but 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 so my my son my oldest son 12 year old i always have to reflect am i a creation of my adversities my my environment my upbringing or genetics because far out genetics has a massive influence yeah yeah that's amazing. So just logistically, I'm just curious, you know, two kids of my own, are are your kids going back and forth with you? Are they, uh, or do they go to school in Australia? No, so so we homeschool. Oh, okay, perfect. So then they can live anywhere, anytime. And, uh, oh, we got a whole nother level of conversation. <laughs> yeah, but, but, uh, but this is their first time in America. And I'm going to be, um, which is amazing, uh, because my wife is a Filipina. And okay. uh, she she recently just got her uh, Australian passport after 
so many years. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And so now it's a lot easier for her to to come here. But oh, um, okay, wonderful. We, we're in the process of transitioning and settling properly here and there. Like right now, I'm flying up and down, up and down. It's too much. Whereas you know, settling here half a year and for them yeah. is is much better. I want to embrace uh, being here because I've started a new business, published a book. I feel like my message is mostly important to deliver here in this part of the world. I see. And, um, and that's why I'm here. I feel like I'm called to be here. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. And you live in LA, Santa Monica? Mm, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I lived in Venice uh, for a long time, um, mm. 20 years. I went to USC, worked at UCLA. I, yeah, a professor at USC. So I, I have a special place in my heart for LA. And I still have come to LA every once in a while. Um, and things slowed down in um, during COVID. Now I'm in Colorado. Okay. Uh, yeah, n- near Boulder. So, so wonderful. That's so exciting that you homeschool your kids. I homeschool one child, my daughter, and my son goes to a traditional school. But the life that you're living is is sometimes what I think about. I think about like, oh my God, we could live anywhere and I can show my kids the world. And so my daughter is free. She's free of that. Um, my son is just still like wants to be with his friends. I gave him the choice. And, but my daughter was just done. She was just like, okay, I'm done with school. And you know, what's so amazing is that her creativity seemed to just explode, not being in school. Have you found that? Well, well, one thing is we've grown up two individuals. Uh, they are creative. They're problem solvers. They yes. are independent thinkers. They, um, because we do so much and my wife is, uh, she's, I'm a creative thinker, you know, I'm very different. My wife is, we're polar opposite. You know, I okay. like sweets. She likes savory, salty. Things. Okay. I like it. I like it cold. She likes it hot. Well, yeah, like, you know. Yeah, I the yin and yang you know, coming together. Yeah, completely yin and yang. Uh, incredible fit for yin and yang. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so she she has these great adventures with the kids and, and learning experiences. So I'm a dyslexic learner. Uh, she's a typical academic kind of uh, in- intellect. She can read a legal agreement and bloody understand it the first time. Oh, wow. I can read it. She's I can read it. Yeah, she, I can read it 30 times and barely understand 10%. It pisses me <laughs> off. Anyway, yeah, me too. Me too. It's like it's way annoying. over my head. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. And, but, but, but she has these experiences. We have these experiences with the kids. And so, you know, we get a chance to – so I pay a lot of money for private schools. And then I got the kids out of homeschooling. I'm spending as much money, if not more, homeschooling because, you know, we give them incredible experiences, teachers, specialty learning opportunities from around the world, not just our geographical location. Mm-hmm. So we, we, you know, we get a chance to really, it's far more enriching is all I could say. Yeah. Yeah, definitely enriching. So that's wonderful. So I want to go back to when you started your company, Remote Staff. Um, mm. At what age or how many years ago did you start that and, and how did it build and, and grow? So the Remote Staff business came from a bargain. I, I keep bargaining for my life. Uh, because, a you bargain know, with God? Bargain. Or with- yeah, yes. Oh, uh, I want to hear this. So, so, so I had my uh, brain operation the first time. Then my right kidney was removed because it was 95% occupied by cancer. I had to take that out two months later. 
And then they wanted to go into my left kidney because there's fast uh, four big tumors there. I go, guys, wow, whoa, slow down. I just, I just had a damn, I just had a brain operation. And I can barely turn my head and you guys have taken my right kidney out. Yeah. And now you want to go back in again? No, I need to heal. I need to take some time out. I'm a walking dead man anyway. It's been in my body for all this time. So let's just pull it, pull the dress everyone. I was taking, I was very blase about it. And so anyway, I took a year off, came back and eventually saw the doctor and eventually had the operation uh, a few years later in February um, uh, 2008. But late late 2007, I had the consultation with the doctor and about the kidney and we're discussing removing the cancers, uh, cutting me in half instead of keyhole to preserve as much of the original kidney as possible. Since it's my last kidney, my right kidney was removed. And the doctor was like, look, we don't know. We're going to go in there. We're going to remove the tumors. We might find a few little ones. I'm going to see if I can get them. Uh, but um, what we're going to do is uh, when I do cut you in half, you know, we'll see how you go. You might have two years of kidney life remaining, maybe uh, 10 years if you're lucky. It depends on your hereditary condition. And I said, all right, doctor, doctor, listen, I know this is my last shot before I'm on dialysis and all this stuff. I, I don't think a quality of life exists when you're on dialysis so mate give me 10 more years of kidney life and i will um employ thousands of people i just felt like i needed something noble in return yes for for, uh, another second chance at life again i mean i've had a lot of i've already had so many second chances and this is another one and i said listen now i'm I'm bargaining with him but i'm really talking through him Uh, i know the miracle has happened with the doctor um, yes. Or by the doctor. And so, um, you know, all of us are vessels. And so anyway, uh, mm-hmm. the, um, so Beautiful. I went bargained for him. That was the, 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 the seed, uh, because the seed was already in my mind. And my father was a factory manager, employed thousands of people. So I didn't know there's just something that came to me spontaneously. I thought, yeah. oh, maybe employing people might be yeah. noble enough for me to right. justify my existence. Them- right. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I didn't employ anyone. And so okay. I started the company. And since then, I've employed 8,000 people. Yeah, that's amazing. And so before that, you were using them as contractors, hiring them as needed. Is that what you mean? No. So when I took a year off, I went to the Philippines, fell in love. I did all these things, but also fell in love with the people and the culture. Did you fall in love with your wife? That's where I fell falling in love with my wife. Oh, um, after my brain operation, and, and I didn't know whether I was going to be alive. Oh my God. And you're like, who is this amazing woman? The Filipino people are the best. They are so gracious. I mean, they're amazing. I went there when I was 16. So I know the Philippines too. That's incredible. So, how did you meet her? Uh, again, the, this is all random stuff. I did a uh, second chance to life, was all about. Uh, uh, you know, having fun, uh, catching up on women. <laughs> so that was my <laughs> you second it was chance. Gonna be life. casual. You thought it was gonna be casual? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. So it was in it was after India. So I met her before I went to India. And then after uh three, four months in the Philippines, I went to India. And before then I was just dating, fooling around with girls. And then after India, I, I was on these one dates with uh some uh Israeli girl from uh, a military, she just got out and um and some Indian kind of, well, I don't know what they call, but you know, the beard and they've only got a sharong. And anyway, he was at a coffee shop 
below our, like it was a coffee shop that Enrique Sheshu, I can't say it very well, my uh-huh. speech is still affected, uh, where the yoga capital of India uh-huh. is. And I'm in a date where the girl went to do something to get changed because her shoulders were showing and there was too much attention. It's like, oh my God, I'm so uncomfortable. There's all these people looking at you. What the hell are you looking at? I understand you're, you're a girl, but freaking out, you haven't got your boobs or something showing. Why are they staring at your shoulders? Anyway, because you know, it's not socially acceptable to show your shoulders in India and, and maybe some places. I didn't understand it. You so didn't I understand don't know. It, I, yeah. I, I just said to her, can you please change? Because I'm freaking out because I'm talking to you, but I'm they're staring. They're not like, they're not casually looking. They're just staring at you. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, um, when she took off, uh, some guy that looked like a junkie bum stood up and said, you foreigners are all the same. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, what's up, Guru? What, 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 tell me what. what, what do you tell mean? me my message. He goes, yeah, he goes. He goes. You, you're looking for love. I can see it. I go. Nah, man. I'm looking at her ass. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we had this conversation, and um, and, and he was telling me, Chris, uh, not Chris. He was saying, like, you got to learn to love. Learn to love. It, it was his message. And then he just took off. And then I was just there at this coffee shop. Wow. Got smacked with this message about learn to love randomly, not thinking about it. Yeah, then, yeah. You know, this girl finally comes back. I have I finished the coffee or whatever. We, we, I move, we move on. And then this message was just, I just started practicing this. I thought about it. And ah. I started, everyone I started dating after that was about this notion of, learn to love like learn yeah. to love something about them appreciate something about yes. them and yes I, and yes. I, I went on this so not only spiritual journey not only did mm-hmm. i come to terms with my mortality and had a whole new level of gratitude and appreciation for life but i was also learning to love others opening my heart for the first time in not putting this big wall it was a mind-blowing experience because it allowed when when, when you open up your heart to 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 learn to love you realize that see before that moment i have to explain i thought falling in love was a miracle because i was so close to it i had guards and guards and walls to it but the moment i opened up to learn to love i was shocked that love was everywhere and love was freaking easy i could learn to love anyone some were harder some were easier anyone and, and yeah, was, because you could find something that's really beautiful. You could find something that you could love in anyone. Yeah, amazing. No matter who they are. And, yeah. and you know what? Because first and foremost, we are all walking miracles. Uh, you know, my heart is just expanding with your, awesome. your messages. Yes, I'm resonating. This is, this is incredible. And so so love is a, 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 a I, I always say to my wife, I'm frustrated by love. Because love is out of my control. I like to be in control. <laughs> love is out of control. You're also much more generous. You're far more generous than you intended to be. You're far more giving. You're far more focused on serving than taking. Love is a freaking annoying thing for those reasons, but it's an awesome blessing. I'm just playing with it. But yeah, it's yeah. An amazing, it's, it's an amazing thing. So love, can you imagine that? All my life. I didn't believe about uh, having a future because I thought oh, I was going to be dead by 30. Yeah. So, so why, you know, why invest in love if you're not even going to be alive? I totally what's get that. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. You have to have that me. shield on your heart. 
all I wanted to do when I got that diagnosis and be dead and, and at 19, uh, all I wanted to do was just have a laugh. I just wanted to have a good time. Until around about 25, 24, I was wondering, why is it, I'm going to be dead by 30. Why is it still important to me to, to find purpose and meaning in my life, a career that matters? Why do I give a shit about mattering in some way or doing something that's important? Why for me or for others? Or I didn't understand that. That, that took me a while to figure out. And mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't find satisfaction in a job and uh, ended up becoming an entrepreneur as a result. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So I want to go back to like you meeting your wife in the Philippines. Sure. Was it, yeah. So, so did you, did you guys connect immediately? And it no, was just. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, she was different from the other girls. Like you've got to remember my second chance at life. I just had a brain operation. Yeah. I just had a kidney removed. I've got cancers in my kidney that I'm aware of now. <laughs> You're like, I'm I a have, cat. I'm a I'm cat. A, I'm, I'm alive. And I am just embracing the second chance of catching up. Yeah. And so I'm just, I'm in Asia. I'm like a, I'm a white guy in Asia. And <laughs> I, cap, I capitalized. I had a lot of fun. And so I'm just one girl after another having all these incredible experiences. And Rika was, well, my wife, her name is Rika, like America, Costa Rica. Rika, so Rika yeah. Yeah, is, Rika. Uh, she was just one of the other girls. Yeah. Like I said, she, uh, yeah, she was great to be with. Like I enjoyed the other girls. She was definitely much more special than the other girls. But I don't know. I wasn't thinking about that. I was just yeah. thinking about having fun. But when I came back from India, it was a whole other experience looking at this woman in a different way. Oh, because you because went back to her. You came back to visit I, her. I came back to her. As a matter of fact, she was the first girl I came back to. And when I, when, when I spent time with her, I mean, I just didn't want to leave her. I, I was, oh. realized that I couldn't live my life without her. I oh was amazed. Just, I was amazed by just how much she enriched me, enabled me, and I felt like I did something for her. And we just, it was like two energies on fire. And wow. um, on multiple levels, not just physical, it was emotional, mental, and yes. spiritual. And I didn't, I felt um, physical connections that it in, in, enlightened energies on both parties, uh-huh. maybe, maybe a mental as well with a few others, but no one I've ever had that had this spark of spirituality connection, this kind of, you know, knowing of knowing or, of comfort amongst each other to just be. Yeah. It was fascinating. Yeah. That's incredible. That's so beautiful. And then you really, um, at that point you had already started remote stuff, right? So no, no. Oh, Oh, so this that was a little bit more. Oh, yeah. okay. So that was a little bit more of an inspiration. Your wife being from this country. Yeah, that's right. And falling in love with the family values there. The uh-huh. Filipinos have these incredible family values yes. that put our puts our family values to shame. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, for sure. The way the way they the sacrifices they make as a family, uh, as people, yep. all these things that they do. And I just felt there was just something in my mind that, I don't know, it was just, yeah. I was inspired by it. And uh, I mean, my wife has already impacted my own family. It was turbulent at the time. Uh, anyway, and so when I had that chance to bargain for my life and I thought I could employ people, I already had the seed in my mind say, I'd love to hire them because they're so much more cost effective. And then when I'm in Australia yeah. doing my entrepreneurial stuff, at least I could finally afford some support and resources I need. Yeah. So, that was the thinking initially just for, to serve my own needs. 
Oh, yeah, idea, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the idea of employing thousands encouraged me to apply the business model and idea to a market, to an audience, rather than just my own needs. And what's fascinating is I thought I discovered my purpose when I became an, I decided to become an entrepreneur and burn my bridge in jobs. It was only six years later after my business running it for already six years that I looked back behind me and realized, oh no, my purpose is providing jobs. Ah, yeah, because you could see how many you provided. That's amazing. So, so by providing a job, I get to see the impact in the Philippines. And yes. by providing a job to my clients now in America, because I'm starting my company in America, I get to see the impact I make to my, my fellow entrepreneurs' businesses yeah. and managers of large companies and all this stuff. Because when you've got the right people who are the right fit for you with the skills, the behavioral, cultural tendencies and all this stuff, oh, and they're bloody cost effective. Ah, it's liberating. You finally yeah. go, you see, you, I've seen my comp, my clients' businesses go from being stuck to growth to being a struggling business, not able to service their customers and taking on volume to taking on volume and taking on growth. I've seen businesses employ more people locally as a result of having a, a team that they can finally get the right support that can go on a journey. Because a lot of people in the Philippines are hardworking and are loyal to employers. Yes. They've got traditional employment values. That's hard to come across these days. So now it in America, I mean, when I'm employing staff uh, for Americans, uh, I'm noticing one thing. I've got people in America saying, Chris, I can't find local people here. And even yes. though I do, there's such a struggle to keep. I mean, I spent all this time training them. Yes, to go training and train them. them. That's why outsourcing uh, is so important. I mean, it's like they need you. They, the world needs them and, the, yeah. and, 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 and they need us. Yeah. So as, as foreigners, they look up to foreigners as well. They're westernized in their cultural things. So as you can see me talking about it, I'm very still passionate. It's also yeah. fascinating to be passionate in something 15 years later. I and know. so my passion, and my passion and purpose of serving and contribution is now not just in employing thousands of people, which I've already lived up to, but I've also bargained the second time for my life. And that was to inspire millions as well. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. You know, when I, I could have been that white woman in the Philippines, there was like two instances where my, um, my dad, someone asked to marry me through my dad in the cab, the cab driver. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And then I went to a village. And so my hair is dark, you can see, but um, in the sun, when I get sun, it's like blonde. And I went to this vil village and it was called Tiburon and stayed with this local family. And the, all the villagers, all the kids were like following me around. Yeah. And it was just like so interesting. And then, and then I fell in love with an Israeli but I was 16, oh. <laughs> so it wasn't really, it wasn't really love, but whatever. Sure. But I have my own special connection with the Philippines and my dad dated, um, you know, my parents were divorced and dated them. So, and, and it just seems like you're right about the culture and then also the work ethic, that respect. Yeah. And, and also the, uh, the skill level intelligence and, and just like tenacity and, um, self-starter. So yeah, it's, it's wonderful. That's, that's so great. And I want to talk about your book near death lessons. So what inspired you to write it? Was it after all of your near deaths or, or had you only had a few? 
Yeah, look, I mean, it was the second brain operation that almost killed me. Second, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I had the operation because I, I wanted to get the tumor out of the way. I had two tumors in the, in the middle of my head. <laughs> and and one of the tumors, uh, and, and, I, and, and my wife was eight months pregnant. So I thought mm. to support my wife, let me get my brain operation out of the way, and then we could carry on. But something, you know, I've had already a brain operation. I've already had my kidneys removed you know, operated on and I've had eye surgeries. I've had all these things because of the hereditary condition. And then here I am in this operating room and the doctor goes in to remove the first tumor and then goes in the other hemisphere, the left, to remove the other one. Guess what happens? Well, it touches the first tumor and it explodes in my brain. It goes from a surgery to remove oh two God. tumors to all of a sudden a bloody affair trying to save this guy's life. Did you actually of- die? Did you die? Six steepers across the line. I, I, I mean, did. I crossed the other side, uh, uh, which I'll explain in a second. Okay. Sure. Uh, um, I, 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 sixty uh, percent of people die on the operating table. I'm one of the lucky forty percent. So wow. He not only managed to get that right tumor cleaned up, and but he still went in the left part of my brain, and and got the other one out. He still got both of them out. Somehow. I survived, but I, I survived and I woke up after five days in a coma in massive adversity, massive side effects, completely deaf in my right ear. My two visions were completely split and, and my head was spinning. So if I looked this way, my, my spinning would go that way. My, I couldn't, my half my lung was collapsed, my speech, my t- half my tongue doesn't work still. There's all these things, the complications that my world and my existence in this world was uh, I don't know, shattered, fractured. Yeah. This reality that I woke up to was not what I was. I never thought such a reality could exist. I mean, one doesn't know that one has two different visions running at any one time. Mm. They were completely split. One doesn't know that your balance, when it's completely gone, you can't even, you know, stand upright. One didn't know that. You know, there's so many things that I experienced, Amazing. but before before I woke up in my body, I did have that out of body experience. Again, I always notice when I'm having an out of body experience because one, time operates at a different dimension. There, you, 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 it's a lot slower. Like you, like here, there's time, and then there's time there. Just it's warped. It's it's slow, and can go on for a while, but it's but it felt like a second. I, I don't know. It's weird. Uh, that's one thing I notice. And the second thing I notice is that I don't have any physical form. I'm not mm. associated to temperature, skin, feel, body. I'm just, I'm just conscious awareness. And I'm in a, in a void. I'm, I'm somehow in this vastness of a void. So I don't have these other things that people might be saying, but I, I, I've got this void. And so I always say that life and death coexist because when I close my eyes, and I, and I go beyond my thoughts and feelings and temperature sensations and all this stuff, uh, that void is the same space where I go to when I pass. Mm. So wait, open your eyes. You're here in this existence. Close your eyes. You're technically connected to the other existence. <laughs> I don't know. This is wow. my fears. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trippy place because – why why am I more powerful? So I spent $175,000 in the early 90s on personal development, all this stuff, 
And yet I go to India, meditate for three weeks, and I personally grow far more on those three weeks, meditating, doing nothing but silence, and observing self, observing self, and became in terms of my mortality and my essence, right? Meditating. What the hell's going on here? Why <laughs> That's what I, I preach. That's what I preach. Yeah. Why, why am I in, in so much more intelligent and, and uh, mm. incredibly, um, why are things going in the right way? And see, all these things happen when I'm in flow and just kind of allowing to be this yes. vessel. And yes. this uh, this vehicle this, to 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 receive this incredible. Why, why do these things happen? And um, look, I know there's a lot of people who might not be spiritual, but I like to think that the, for those people that are spiritual here, maybe just, not in our audience. <laughs> okay, let, not very our, our audiences are very spiritual. Good. Hopefully, fellow, or maybe they hopefully. will be after this. There we go. Okay, so I just have to let you know. After all these near-death experiences, I cannot help myself but be spiritually sensitive. I am so spiritually sensitive. It's annoying. It's overwhelming. It's it's frustrating. I get frustrated because of the overwhelming gratitude, spontaneous love mm. that happens to me, and it's and it's not I by desire or want. It comes. It comes at moments. Now, let me say that this is always like opening up your heart. When you open up your heart and you open up your mind to appreciate everything and be in a state of gratitude, it opens the door to the spiritual floodgates. Yes. Gratitude is the, is, the, is the door with an open heart space. Do not pigeon your existence to you, what you perceive in what your brain patterns are telling you that this is how you've interpreted this life, your existence. Yeah. Because your interpretations of your existence in life is only an interpretation. It's yeah. like a reflection on a window across the street. That's just a reflection. <laughs> That's beautiful. So, I feel like I'm listening to an inspirational speaker. You're just an incredible inspiration. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you one last question. I could talk to you all day. I had about 20 different questions for you. And then I we just started talking about traveling and our family, which I love. Obviously, I love that. And so what is Zen success to you? Because that's the name of the show. It's it's using spiritual power, your 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 true core deep self to serve and contribute. Amazing. I want to go back and listen to that over and over again and play it for my kids. It's been such a pleasure getting to know you, hearing about your incredible life story. Everybody buy his book, Near Death Lessons, and I'll put your website and how to order your book. I'll get that from your publicist. I'll put that in the show notes. So thanks for being on my show today, Chris. Thank you very much for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure talking to you. that's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to shows. Zen Success is also available on the radio in select markets through amfm247.com. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. Be sure to head on over to zensuccessshow.com to help you on your Zen Success journey. 
and join us on the next episode. May you find your own Zen success in life.